0: Uh, we read in 1 Samuel chapter two, verse eleven. Then Elkanah returned home to Ramah without Samuel, and the boys served the Lord by assisting Eli the priest. So God had answered Hannah's prayer, and Hannah kept her promise to God, and, and left little Samuel to grow up serving the Lord at the tabernacle. And so that's where we're going to pick up our story today. Uh, now today's passage gives us some snapshots of. Uh, of what Samuel's life growing up at the tabernacle was like, Uh, but the passage doesn't revolve solely around Samuel. It also includes what's going on with Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and as we're going to see, things are not good at the tabernacle. Uh, Even though they were priests, uh, they were representing God at the tabernacle, We quickly see that that Eli and his sons were not the the godly representatives that God intended them to be. In fact, the rest of the chapter is kind of written in a way that contrasts the goodness of Samuel with the wickedness of Eli and his sons. It's kind of a a back and forth uh, snapshot showing uh, Samuel growing up honoring the Lord and Eli and his sons increasingly dishonoring the Lord. So we're going to start by looking at the first snapshot of Eli's sons, starting in verse 12 this morning. It says, so now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. Whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, Eli's sons would send over a servant with a three pronged fork. While the meat of the sacrificed animal was still boiling, the servant would stick the fork into the pot and demand that whatever it brought up be given to Eli's sons. All the Israelites who came to worship at Shiloh were treated this way. Sometimes the servant would even come before the animal's fat had been burned on the altar. He would demand raw meat before it had been boiled so that it could be used for roasting. The man offering the sacrifice might reply, Take as much as you want, but the fat must be burned first. Then the servant would demand, No, give it to me now or I'll take it by force. So the sin of these young men was very serious in the Lord's sight, for they treated the Lord's offerings with contempt. So we can kind of see right off the bat here that things are not good at the tabernacle. Uh, The sons of Eli, who were priests along with their father, they're described here as scoundrels. They had no respect for God or for their duties as priests. They were completely abusing their position and their authority for selfish gain, stealing from the offerings that which did not belong to them. Now, of course, there were some parts of the offerings that did belong to the priests. Uh, God had specifically laid out uh, the guidelines for which part of the offering would belong to God, which part would belong to the priest, and then sometimes what part would uh, belong to the giver, depending on what that particular sacrifice or offering was for. God had kind of built into this whole system of sacrifice provision for the priests. You know, they had a specific allotment that they were entitled to, but Hophni and Phinehas were not content with what God had given them. You know, sometimes we can relate to that a little bit. We're we're not content with what God has given us. But but Hophni and Phinehas completely disregarded God's instructions and they took by force whatever parts of the offering that they wanted. Uh, Verse 15 talks about how they even demanded the raw meat before the the fat had been burned on the altar. Now, of course, the the fatty parts of the offering were always considered to be, you know, the the best parts, right? The best cuts of meat are always the fatty parts. And, And so that part of the offering was always sacrificed on the altar as a gift to God. Right? The Israelites to honor God by giving him the best, right? Not the leftovers, not the part that nobody else wanted anyways, but to giving God the best, the best parts. And so that's why the fat was always burned on the altar. They were giving God the best, but the sons of Eli had no respect for the Lord. And in essence, they robbed from the Lord by dishonoring him or, and dishonored him by taking the best for themselves. And I think just as a little side note, sometimes we can do that too. Even though we know that God deserves the best that we can offer him, sometimes we keep the best for ourselves and and we just kind of give God the leftovers. Now, just for a couple examples, uh, one that I thought of, uh, sometimes we give God our leftover time. You know, if if we're not too tired or if there's nothing on TV, well, then maybe we'll read our Bible or, or pray or go to Bible study or whatever it is. We'll spend time with God so long as it doesn't interfere with our, our busy schedule. Or on Sunday mornings, you know, if there's no outings planned or if there's nothing else that we'd rather do, well, we'll go to church. And we give God our leftover time. We may even give God our leftover money if there ever is such a thing. You know, after the bills are paid and, and after we've bought all the things that we need and we want, well, then and, and only then do we give, you know, some money to the church or to some missionaries that we know of or, or someone else in need. You know, we give God our leftover money. And I don't think it honors God to give him our leftovers. You know, God is worthy of more than just our leftovers. We need to give him our best, you know, our best time, our best energy, our our best efforts, our best talents. You know, Proverbs 3, verse 9 tells us, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Now, that's kind of a principle that you see throughout the scriptures, that we are to honor God by giving him our best, by giving to him first. You know, God is worthy of more than just our leftovers. Don't be like Hophni and Phinehas. Don't give God the leftovers. Give to God first and give God the best. Well, the sons of Eli had no respect for the Lord, and they robbed him by taking the best for themselves. And so as verse 17 tells us, the sin of these young men was very serious in the Lord's sight, for they treated the Lord's offerings with contempt. Now, you'll remember how I said how how this chapter is full of contrasts Well, contrast now these sons of Eli stealing from the Lord, and then contrast it with these next verses about Samuel and his family. Verse 18, it says, But Samuel, though he was only a boy, served the Lord. He wore a linen garment like that of a priest. Each year his mother made a small coat for him and brought it to him when she came with her husband for the sacrifice. Before they returned home, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you other children to take the place of this one she gave to the Lord. And the Lord blessed Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. All right, so on one hand, we've got the sons of Eli, you know, completely dishonoring the Lord, living selfishly with no respect for God and his commands, stealing from the people and from God. And then on the other hand, we've got Samuel and his family You know, doing pretty much the opposite, right? We see Samuel, even though he's just a small boy, he's obediently serving the Lord. We see his parents coming, uh, bringing their sacrifices year after year in faithfulness to God. And what's more, we're reminded again of of Hannah's great sacrifice in keeping her promise to God and giving up her son, dedicating him to, to be in the presence and in the service of the Lord. I mean, if that's not an example of giving your best to God, I don't know what is. I mean, Hannah didn't give God the leftovers. She honored God by giving her her best, and at that time, her only son. You know, the, the most precious thing in the world to her. She gave God her best. And because of that, because she chose to honor God, God chose to honor her. Verse 21 tells us, And the Lord blessed Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. I mean, what a blessing for a a woman who was barren, just absolutely brokenhearted because she could have no children. For her now to have six children, you know, God was clearly honoring her because she had honored the Lord, which of course is quite a contrast to the sons of Eli. Uh, Verse 22 continues with another snapshot of their utter disrespect and disregard for the ways of God. Verse 22 says, now Eli was very old, But he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. Eli said to them, I have been hearing reports from all the people about the wicked things you were doing. Why do you keep sinning? You must stop my sons. The reports I hear among the Lord's people are not good. If someone sins against another person, God can mediate for the guilty party. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? But Eli's sons wouldn't listen to their father, for the Lord was already planning to put them to death. You know, it's clear that these young men have no respect either for God or for their father. You know, their hearts are so hard towards the things of God that at this point, God is ready to put them to death. I mean, God knows their hearts. He knows that despite their father's pleading, there's not going to be any repentance. There's no sorrow for what they had done. These young men had become so hard-hearted that God knew they would never acknowledge their sin and, and ask God for forgiveness. Because if they would, God would surely forgive them. You know, that's, that's the character of God. In fact, God has promised to forgive anyone who confesses and repents of their sin. First John 1.9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. You know, God delights in offering us forgiveness. It's his joy to cleanse us from our sins. Sometimes we get this idea in our head that God's just reluctant. He's tired of us coming and confessing and repenting. No, it is his joy to cleanse us of all of our wickedness, to forgive our sins. And had Hophni and Phinehas repented of their sin and confessed to God and changed their ways as their father had pleaded with them to do, you know, God would have surely forgiven them. But as it was, Their hearts were hard, and they refused to listen to their father. They refused to listen to God. And because of that, God had determined to put them to death. And then, here's that contrast again with Samuel in the next verse, verse 26. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew taller and grew in favor with the Lord and with the people. And this is such an interesting little verse. I mean, it's just a short little statement here, but it's right in the middle of Eli's son's complete Uh, disregard, dishonoring God. But here's little Samuel in the middle of all that, growing taller and growing in favor with the Lord and with the people. I think it's pretty amazing that with all this awful stuff going on all around him, and you can be sure that Samuel was aware of the stuff that was going on. I mean, kids are a lot more perceptive than we sometimes give them credit for. But while the sons of Eli have such hard hearts towards God, Samuel doesn't grow up that way. He, He grows up with a soft heart towards God. He grows in favor with the Lord and he does the things that please him and honor him. And as a result, he also grows in favor with all the people. You know, they can see that he's different from Eli's sons. It's such a good example of being light and salt Uh, in this this dark, flavorless world. And and what really amazes me at this point, he's just a kid, right? It talks about how how he's still growing taller. So we're not talking about, you know, old, wise prophet Samuel. We're talking about young little boy running errands for Eli Samuel. This is who we're talking about. But here he is being an example to all the people, being soft-hearted towards God, doing the things that please and honor him. You know, I'm reminded of Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1 says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. All right, kids, this is a verse for you. I'll say it again. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Now, this isn't entirely applicable to some of us guys who are a little bit past that point now, you know, but you can do this. You can remember your creator in the days of your youth. Don't wait until you get old to start thinking about living for God, because by that time, you might've just developed that hard heart that we see in the sons of Eli. But as a kid, you can choose to be like Samuel. You can do the things that please and honor God. You can have a soft heart towards God and want to serve and please him. Remember your creator in the days of your youth so you don't grow up with a hard heart like the sons of Eli. And then that brings us down to the the final snapshot of the chapter. Uh, As Samuel grows taller and in favor with the Lord and with the people, Uh, Eli and his sons basically find themselves doing the opposite. They have run out of favor with the Lord. Uh, Their hard-heartedness and their disregard and their disrespect for God has finally exhausted God's patience with them. And we read in verse 27, One day a man of God came to Eli and gave him this message from the Lord. I revealed myself to your ancestors when they were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And I chose your ancestor Aaron from among all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incense, and to wear the priestly vest as he served me. I assigned the sacrificial offerings to you priests. So why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people Israel. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel says, I promise that your branch of the tribe of Levi will, would always be my priests, but I will honor those who honor me and I will despise those who think lightly of me. The time is coming when I will put an end to your family so it will no longer serve as my priests. All the members of your family will die before their time. None will reach old age. You will watch with envy as I pour out prosperity on the people of Israel But no members of your family will ever live out their days. The few not cut off from serving at my altar will survive, but only so their eyes can go blind and their hearts break and their children will die a violent death. And to prove what I have said will come true, I will cause your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, to die on the same day. Then I will raise up a faithful priest who will serve me and do what I desire. I will establish his family, and they will be priests to my anointed kings forever. Then all your surviving family will bow before him, begging for money and food. Please, they will say, give us jobs among the priests so we will have enough to eat. Uh, a pretty sad statement, a sad message from the Lord. Both Eli and his sons had failed to be the godly representatives that God had chosen to be as his priests. They had failed to honor God. In fact, God's main indictment of Eli here was that he honored his sons more than he honored God. He says, Why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people Israel. Now, even though we see Eli pleading with his sons to stop their wickedness, it seems he never actually did anything about it. You know, he didn't take any steps to to discipline them or to stop them. He didn't remove them as priests or anything like that. In fact, it seems that he ate their stolen meat along with them. You know, God says, for you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people Israel. Eli's family had failed to honor God, and as a result, God would no longer honor them. And that's kind of one of the the key themes that kind of comes out of this whole chapter here. In in verse 30, uh, it says, Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I promised that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priest. But then it says, But I will honor those who honor me, and I will despise those who think lightly of me. You know, that's a principle we see throughout this story. God honors those who honor him, and he will despise those who think lightly of him. You know, we see this in the life of Hannah. You know, she determined to honor God by keeping her promise and dedicating her son to the Lord. God honored her by giving her more sons and daughters. He, he blesses her with the family that she's always wanted. You know, and as Samuel grows up, you know, obediently serving the Lord, keeping that soft heart towards God, God honors him and he grows in favor with the Lord and with the people. But of course, on the flip side of that is the sons of Eli despise the things of God and they're stealing from the people, robbing God of the best and keeping it for themselves. They dishonor God and think lightly of him. And so God determines to remove them as his priests and and their entire family for generations to come would suffer the consequences. God honors those who honor him, but will despise those who think lightly of him. So the question that I would leave you with today to ponder uh, in this next week is is who do you honor? Who do you give your best to? You know, Eli, he honored his sons. He he refused to discipline them or or intervene with their their, uh, whatever they were doing, even though he knew that they were sinning against God. He chose to honor them more than God. And his sons, they, they honored themselves. You know, they, they stole from God and took the best for themselves. They, they had no interest in honoring God. They chose only to honor themselves. But Samuel and his parents, they honored God. They gave God their best. They did all that they could to please and honor him. So who do you honor? You know, who gets your best time and your best energy and your best effort? You know, is it your career, perhaps? Your family, yourself? Who gets the best? Do you give God the best, or does he just get the leftovers? Well, this morning, we want to share communion together. We want to remember and celebrate how Jesus gave his best for us. We're told in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God gave us his best, his beloved son. And he's honored us by sending his son to die in our place so that we could live. And it's certainly not because we're worthy of that honor. I mean, we are selfish and sinful to the core. We deserve eternal separation from God. But yet God, out of his incredible love for us, made a way for us not to perish, but to have eternal life. And he did that through the life, the death, and the resurrection of his son, Jesus. So how can we, in response to that, give God anything but our best. So this morning, if you've accepted God's gift of eternal life, and if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, then I would welcome you to join with us in sharing communion this morning. And if you haven't done that, you know, I'd really encourage you to put some serious thought into that. You know, God is eager to forgive. He's, he's ready for you to surrender your life to him. Um, but, you know, like the sons of Eli, there will, be a come, there will be a time when it will be too late to make that choice. And so I would encourage you to consider doing that even today. And I would love to, to talk with you later about how you can do that. In, in just a few moments, uh, we're going to have the guys come around with the, the bread and the cup. And, of course, the bread reminds us of the broken body of Christ, which was whipped and beaten and nailed to a cross for you and for me. The cup reminds us of the blood of Jesus, which was spilled out. And it washes away the sin of you and me. And, and as the guys come around, I just ask that you would hold on to both the, the cup and the bread till everybody's been served, and then we'll all partake together. But before we do that, let me just read a short passage uh, from Corinthians chapter 11, a familiar passage, starting at verse 21, or verse 23, I should say. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus gave us the best. He gave himself. So that we could have life. And so today as we share this cup and this bread, uh, let's remember that. And then as we go into this week, let's remember that still and give God our first and our best. Let's pray and then the men will come up and uh, pass this around. Dear God, we thank you so much for your son Jesus. There's really nothing else that's greater that we could even be thankful for. You've given us blessing upon blessing, but none is greater than that, God. You gave us your best. You gave us your son. And he gave up his life. He went through uh, horrible, terrible things. He took on the guilt and the sin, the weight of all uh, of that from every person who's ever lived on this planet. He carried on that cross and he paid the price for that. God, we thank you so much that you gave your best for us. You let your body be broken. You let your blood be spilled. And you did it because you loved us. So God, I just pray as we share this this morning, that we would remember that. And we would honor you more than anything else because of your incredible love for us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.